Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. You can support the show on a one-time basis, support.greatdetectives.net. And you can also become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month. Just go over to patreon.greatdetectives.net. Well, now it's time for this week's episode of The Silent Men. The original air date on this one is April the 16th, 1952. And the title is The Torch. Douglas Fairbanks, Jr. in The Silent Men. The National Broadcasting Company proudly presents Douglas Fairbanks' production of The Silent Men. Transcribed stories of the undercover operations of the special agents of every branch of our federal government and their relentless fight against crime. And now here is Douglas Fairbanks. When a man is murdered, it is usually a case for local authorities. But when the murdered man happens to be a soldier, the matter becomes a case for the federal government. It may be more than a man being killed. The motive may strike at the security of the entire nation. To protect that security, the case is placed in the hands of special agents of the federal government assigned to the protection of the armed forces. Tonight, I will assume the identity of one of them. Special Agent Frank Hepburn, in the file case entitled The Torch in which only the names and places are fictional. I was working out of Las Vegas, Nevada, doing routine security assignments at the nearby air bases. Less than 100 miles away in the desert, guided missile tests were being conducted, but no trouble was anticipated until it came. I was awakened at 2 a.m. by military police. They drove me to a deserted spot off the main highway 40 miles out of town. There was a charred wreck of a car still smoldering. A man with the rank of Lieutenant Colonel was waiting for me. Yeah, you can see the body. What's left of it. Yeah. Better not touch anything. That metal's still red hot. I'll be careful, Colonel. Who spotted this? Uh, MP car. They called me, I called you. Why? The car familiar to you? Yes. Camp tag on the license plate. Uh, Throw your flashlight on it, Sergeant. Yes, sir. Okay, thanks, Sergeant. You taking a check on the registration? MP's got it on shortwave just a minute before we got here. Camp records have the car listed to Captain Walter Cronin. Check to see if Captain Cronin is on the post, will you? Yeah, I'd say that what's left of Cronin's behind that wheel, wouldn't you, Mr. Heppen? I suppose so, Colonel, but um, that body isn't going to be easy to identify. Sergeant. Yes, sir? You got an asbestos glove or something to use on that door handle? I'd like to get it open. That frame is rather twisted from the heat. It won't be very easy to open. What are you looking for? I'm just hoping that Cronin was in uniform when this happened. Should be some buttons or his captain's insignia in there somewhere. Easy does it, Sergeant. Don't burn yourself. I'll be careful, sir. Thank you. He's kept this bar in a frame. 
does it, sir. Thanks. Feel that heat. Yeah. The hours before this cools off. Yeah, it's a rotten way to die. You don't suppose it could have been an accident? Not unless he was smoking a cigarette or something and passed out at the wheel. Nothing to indicate that, though. No skid marks or anything on the road. Looks like the car was driven off the road to a normal stop. Sergeant, may I, um, may I have that glove and bar? Oh, yes, sir. Look, Colonel. Yeah. Captain's bars. Cronin, all right. Well, it'll be up to a coroner to tell us how he died. You know what his assignment was, Colonel? Uh, yes, yes, Pentagon man. What was he doing out here? He'd been here for the past three months observing the guided missile tests. Oh, brother. You think this is an espionage case? Possible. I want to run down on every contact he ever made while he was in this area. Who he made friends with, a list of all officers in his barracks, who he sat with at mealtimes, everything. You'll get everything I can get for you, Mr. Heppin. Good. We'd better put a call through to Washington, too. I want to find out if Captain Cronin was cleared for classified information only or stuff that's top secret. Well, you won't have to call for that. Can you answer that? Yeah, I'm afraid so, Heppin. Captain Cronin was authorized to view the test from the number one forward position. He was cleared right to the top. nothing to do but wait for reports. And when they came, they were not good. The first one came to the colonel on the telephone. Yes. Yes. Thank you, coroner. Yes, I've got it. No, no, turn it over to the police laboratory and we'll check with them later. Thank you. Is that the medical report? Yeah. He was murdered, all right. How? Bullet through his head. Coroner rule out suicide? Yes, the point of entry was at the base of the brain. Shot was fired from behind him at close range. Come in. I have the report you requested on Captain Cronin, sir. No, all right. That is. The captain left the post at gate five. What time? 10.15 last night, sir. You sure of that, Sergeant? Yes, sir. It's the only listing on the captain. Anything else to that report, Sergeant? Was Captain Cronin alone? Well, he was when he left the camp, sir. Any other questions, Sergeant? Mm, no. No, thanks. Thanks, Sergeant. Yes, sir. You can go. Yes, sir. Well, what do you think? Well, we checked Captain Cronin's quarters. Everybody knows he had a briefcase, but it's not there now. He probably had it with him. He wouldn't leave it around. No traces of burnt leather in the car. I wonder why he left the camp. Where was he going? What, what happened between 10.15 and 1 a.m. when that burning car was discovered? The man was alone. Uh, we know he wasn't. Not after he left the base. He stopped someplace. He must have. Think he might have picked up a hitchhiker? Yes, I think he must have. But if he did, it was somebody in uniform, somebody he knew. Yes, but there's no way of telling that for certain. Colonel, it has to be. To be cleared for the kind of information he had, the Pentagon must have put him through a ringer. They don't give assignments like that to men who are careless. You went through his spare uniforms? Wasn't there anything to help in the papers you found in his pockets? Something I noticed written on the back of this bill from the officers' club. Uh oh? A number. 427. Any idea what that could mean? Mm-hmm. Something to do with the tests he was observing. Uh-uh. No, don't think so. Anything to do with the test would be in geometric form. He wouldn't write it on a thing like this anyway. Probably isn't important and unless... Unless what? Ever scrawl a number on the back of an envelope or a piece of scrap paper, a bill? Sure, once in a while. I... Oh, I see what you mean. The phone number. It's a possibility. 
A phone number without an exchange? Well, it could be right here from the camp, Colonel. An extension number. Mind if I use your phone? No, no. Go ahead. I'll dial extension 427 and see what happens. Not yet. It's 5 a.m. Might be one of the camp offices that isn't open yet. Yeah, I guess it is, or it's a... Station hospital. Nurses' quarters. Oh, Oh, I'm sorry. I must have dialed the wrong number. All right. I'm sorry. All right. What was it, Eppin? Station hospital. Nurses' quarters. Think Ronan knew somebody there? If that's the right number. He had some reason for writing it down. You know where the nurses' quarters are? Yes, near gate 12, uh, hospital gate, far end of the base going toward Las Vegas. Captain Cronin left the camp by gate 5. He could have picked somebody up outside of gate 12. Oh, but a lot of our officers must meet nurses there, Hepburn. Guard in the gate wouldn't necessarily notice. No, but we can get something from him. A list of nurses who passed out through gate 12 last night. We clamped censorship on all reports of Captain Cronin's death, pending notification of next of kin, and got a list of the nurses who passed through gate 12 the night before. When the list was completed, we went to the head nurse. It was the same woman I'd spoken to on the telephone. Captain Cronin wouldn't remember. Cronin was about uh, 5'11", 180 pounds, had a mustache. About 32 years old and getting prematurely bald. Here's a list of the nurses who left the base last night. We think um, he might have picked one of them up. Phillips, Crotcher, Harris, Jacqueline Marshall. She's seeing somebody who answered that description. Maybe we better talk to her directly then, Hepburn. It'll be easy, Colonel. She's gone. Gone where? Is she on furlough transfer? Or what? No, she was discharged yesterday. Left last night to go home. Oh, fine. Colonel, will you call the AGO's office, find out where home is for Jacqueline Marshall? Sure. I think it was someplace in Michigan. Don't remember the town. Hmm. Do you know how she planned to travel? Mm, yes, I do, by train. Hello. She was catching a train Hello. from Hello. Las Hello. Vegas at 11.45 last Hello. night. I heard her mention it to Private Whiteson. Who's Private Whiteson? G.I. Came over to help her bring her bags down to the gate. He was always helping her with something. Boyfriend? <laughs> no. Just a patient of hers when she worked the orthopedic ward. Got a crush on her. Happens all the time. Just a big, overgrown boy. Did he just take her to the gate, or did he go into town with her? Well, I, I don't know. AGO says Nurse Marshall's records give her hometown as Lansing, Michigan. Good. That means a couple of days' travel for her. I can grab a plane and pick up the train she's on, en route. But before I start, I want to see somebody else. Oh, who? A man named Private Whiteson. Better check AGO again and find out where he's attached. I know where he's attached. Oh? Whiteson's in my headquarters company. You're not going to like this information, Hepburn. What's the matter? Private Whiteson had a pass that expired at midnight last night. He didn't turn up for roll call this morning. Sergeant has him listed as AWOL. I put out an all-points bulletin on Private Whiteson with a request for all civil police to cooperate in his apprehension. 
We didn't have any line on his location, but we did know where Nurse Jacqueline Marshall was. I got a rundown on her rail reservations and put through a call to our Denver division to pull her off the train. Then I grabbed a plane for Denver. Bill Coston, our Denver man, had her in custody when I got there. Well, Frank, I gave her luggage going over. She had the papers you're looking for. She isn't carrying them now. <laughs> what she is carrying isn't bad. Well, what do you mean, Bill? Oh, guess that means you haven't seen her, huh? Hasn't been much work from the Mayo members of the staff around here since I brought her in. Oh, a good looker. Well, if you find one better looking, that's for me. Hmm. Yeah, she's in my office. Here's the man we've been waiting for, Miss Marshall. Frank Hepburn. Well, that's very nice. Now maybe I can find out what this is all about. Just want to ask a few routine questions that couldn't wait, Miss Marshall. Well, then please start asking. Only I assure you, if somebody stole some penicillin or something from the station hospital, it wasn't me. This has nothing to do with the hospital, and you're not accused of anything, I promise you. I just want to know what you know about a Captain Walter Cronin. What do you mean, what I know about him? You know him? Yes. Understand you went out together quite a bit. Once in a while. When did you see him last? Last night. He drove me to the train. All the way to the train? Into Las Vegas? Yes. Stop any place on the way? No. We stopped someplace in town for a drink, just before we went to the station. Uh-huh. Were you alone? I mean, just you and the and Captain Cronin? No. There was somebody with us. A boy from the camp. Private Whiteson? Why, yes. We didn't really want him along, but... Well, he helped me with my luggage, and he asked for a ride into town. And when we got there, he said his pass was up at midnight and asked Captain Cronin for a ride back to the base. I see. Cronin have any objection to that at all? Why should he have? He was going back anyhow. Mm-hmm. He only drove in to give me a lift. You can check that easily enough, Frank. Yeah. Cronin went into the station with her, a red cap or somebody ought to remember seeing him. Yeah, sure. You can check all you want. I'm telling the truth. And I think that entitles me to know what this is all about. I'll tell you what it's all about, Miss Marshall. You may have been the last person, aside from Private Whiteson, to see Captain Cronin alive. Are you telling me that Walter's dead? He was murdered last night. After he left you at the railroad station. If he did leave you there. But he did. He did, I tell you. All right, take it easy, Miss Marshall. One thing I want to know, and it's very important. Did Cronin have a briefcase with him when he drove you in? I don't know. How do you expect me to think when you hit me with something like this? I... Well, think, will you? This is a security matter. I think he did. Yes. Yes, he did. Because he carried it with him when he got out of the car. A red cap took my bags. How about Private Whiteson? Was he with Cronin all the time? Yes. He stuck to us like glue. Gawking at us when we were trying to say goodbye. And that's another reason I remember the briefcase. Walter was holding it when he put his arms around me to kiss me. Uh-huh. You make any arrangement to see Cronin again sometime? Well, we exchanged addresses. We were going to write. I... I guess it would have been up to him if we were going to meet again. I see. Did Cronin ever tell you what his assignment was, what he was working on? I know he was in engineers. Other than that, it never came up. Let me ask you about something else that, well, maybe never came up. Did you know that 
Cronin was a married man? Married? No. I didn't. He never told me. Maybe you should have asked. All right, Bill. I don't see any need for holding her any longer. Yeah, fine. Uh, thanks, Miss Marshall. Car I brought you in still waiting out back. Just tell the corporal to drive you back to the station. You can pick up the next train coming through. I, I'm glad you can feel so matter-of-fact about it all. Bye. Hmm. Well, what do you think, Frank? Story sounds all right. She might have mailed the papers ahead for a pickup, or somebody else may be carrying them for her. Have somebody on that train. I want to know about every breath she takes from now until we wind this thing up. No, I won't send anybody. I'll go myself. The murder of Captain Cronin was still less than 20 hours old when I got back to Las Vegas. The colonel had no leads on Private Whiteson. I went over the complete coroner's report on Captain Cronin. I must have read it through about oh, five times before something hit me like a sledgehammer. What's the matter with you, Hepburn? Did you read this through? Yes, I read it. Pretty complete coroner's report. But nothing we don't already know. I mean this particular phrase here. Oh. Bone in the left leg of the victim shows healed simple fracture of recent origin. Probably less than two months old, judging by degree of calcification. Yeah, what about it? You said Cronin had been here for three months. Mm, that's right. Was he ever in the base hospital with a broken leg? What? No, he wasn't. And the dead man we found in the car isn't Captain Cronin. But who else could it be? Private Robert Whiteson. Oh, what a chump I am. Whiteson did have a broken leg eight or ten weeks ago. Sure he did. I've been reading it on his record here. I wouldn't have needed the record if I'd only used my head. The chief nurse practically laid it in my lap this morning when she told us Whiteson had been Jacqueline Marshall's patient in the orthopedic ward. Then Cronin's alive and has those papers himself. Either that or he's been kidnapped with them. But Whiteson was killed and his body burnt to throw us off either way. Well, how about that Marshall woman? Don't worry. She's tagged. It's Cronin we've got to find now. Yeah, with stuff like he's carrying, he'll try to get out of the country if he's the one. And uh, he isn't going to play dead for just a little while. He'll want to stay dead. You can do something for me, Colonel. Get out a complete description of Cronin to all border stations, both Mexican and Canadian. Hmm. You have his photo on the duplicate of his AGO card. That can be teletyped. Right. And tell them to watch out for attempted disguise. Disguise? What nature? A balding man with a mustache looks a lot different if he shaves off the mustache and puts on a toupee. And it's a cinch he won't be using his own name. I sent out an alert to all our divisional offices and got through to headquarters in Washington. I told them the story as it shaped up to me. We had to stop Cronin someplace. They dug a security report out of the files and started from the letter A. A complete and methodical check of any place he'd ever been. Every friend he'd ever had. More than 20 agents were assigned for a rapid rundown. Cronin's wife had been notified of his death death that hadn't happened. She was in New York. I flew to New York to see her. While I was en route, the digging into Cronin's life was paying off. I had quite a batch of reports by the time I broke the dubious good news to his wife. They told me he was dead only, only a few hours ago, they told me. I, I was getting ready to, to go to him. It was a mistake, Mrs. Cronin. The body in the car was the body of another man. So far as we know, your husband is still alive. Oh. oh, thank heaven, thank heaven. Don't be too thankful yet, Mrs. Cronin. I've got a few things to ask you that may not be pleasant. I, I don't understand. Were you aware that 
For the last couple of weeks, your husband has been converting most of his possessions into cash. Well, no. What do you mean? Real estate on Long Island and in Maryland, owned by him, has been sold recently. Payment checks have been cashed, but no bank deposits made. The sales were quick sales, and the property was sold at considerably less than normal value in the present market. Why would Walter do that? We don't, we don't need money, not a lot of it, not, not that badly. Apparently, your husband did. He's also sold stocks and bonds on a rising market. Broker's records show he usually doesn't sell until the market reaches peak and starts to level. I, I just don't understand. What, what does it all mean? When did you hear from your husband last? Well, I... I, I had a letter just... Uh, just a while ago. How long a while ago, Mrs. Cronin? It would be best to be frank. Well, five, six weeks, maybe. Walter isn't much on writing, you know. I'm going to be very personal. Not because I want to, but because I have no choice. Has your marriage been in trouble, to your knowledge? <laughs> I, I, I don't know what's been wrong. I, ever since he came back after the war, he's, he's been so strange and so violent and not at all like he used to be. He didn't seem to care about me anymore, about anything. I'm sorry. Did he ever mention divorce? No. no. I, I guess he might have, if he thought it was possible. But you see, we were married in my faith. And I, I, I couldn't consent to that. All right, Mrs. Cronin. I... Excuse me, Oh, that may be for me. I'm expecting some further reports on your husband. But if it should happen to be your husband calling, talk to him as long as you can, but don't mention my being here. But I, I can't help you to do You'll that. have to do as I say. This is important, and helping him would only hurt him in the end. Oh, I wish somebody would tell me what's right or wrong. Hello? Yes? Is it him? Just a minute, please. It's for you. Long distance from Lansing, Michigan. Oh, thanks. Hepburn speaking. Frank? Yeah? Bill Costin. Oh. I'm in Lansing. Got in an hour ago with the Marshall girl. Yeah, Bill. Uh, she know you followed her? No. I think she's setting up a pass on those papers. Why? Well, when we got off the train, she stopped in the depot and sent a wire to Canada. Canada, huh? You got a copy of the message? Yeah, it was a request for a room reservation for next week at the... Royal Hotel in Toronto. Requested in her own name? No, that's why I'm sure something's up. She asked him to reserve a suite in the name of Mr. and Mrs. Harold DeWitt. Harold DeWitt? That's right. Hey, you sound like the name means something to you. It does. It's mentioned in one of the reports I got today in the make I asked for on Cronin. Wait till I dig my notes out of my pocket. You with Cronin's wife now? Yeah. Yeah. How'd you locate me here? Called headquarters in Washington. They told me. Yeah. Oh, hold on, Bill. Here. Here's the thing I'm looking for. Yeah? About a month ago, Cronin wrote to a friend, an automobile executive in Detroit. Asked him to arrange for a friend to pick up a new car from a dealer in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Name of friend, Harold DeWitt. Hey, that's sharp. How'd you get that tidbit? Our agents have been checking on anybody who ever knew Cronin. Asking when they saw or heard from him last. 
That was in the bunch of answers. Uh-huh. And now the Marshall girl makes reservations in the same name for a Canadian hotel. The wit is the cover-up name Cronin has picked for himself. Stick close to that girl, Bill. Don't let her out of your sight. They're working this together. Yeah, uh, Frank, hold it. What's your play? I'm grabbing a plane for Eau Claire to become an automobile salesman for just one brief sale. I wired ahead to have another division man cover the designated automobile agency in Eau Claire to make sure Cronin didn't pick up the car and get away before I got to him. He must have been playing it carefully, though, to avoid detection because he hadn't turned up yet when I got there. He didn't turn up for the next two days, either. I watched every customer that came in while the agency owner hovered anxiously in the background, trying to make himself look as though I belonged there. On the third day, he went out to buck himself up with a drink. And while he was gone, I got the customer I'd been waiting for. Good afternoon. Oh, good afternoon, sir. You... Oh, you interested in our new model? I'd be happy if you'd allow me to demonstrate it for you. It's no, that fine car. Be necessary. I'm familiar with the car. Matter of fact, I came in to take delivery. Oh, I see. You didn't place the order with me, did you, sir? No, no, that was arranged with somebody at the auto factories. Uh-huh. I'd be sure to get delivery today without waiting. Ah, well, then the car must be back in the service department. I'll check on it. What's the name, sir? Oh, uh, Dewitt, Harold Dewitt. You could have fooled me. What do you mean? Well, you remind me of somebody. If you had a mustache and a little less hair, I'd say your name was Cronin. Well, I, I, uh... Uh, Captain Walter Cronin. Yep. And watch how you move, or I'll put a hole in you as big as the one you put in Private Whiteson. Now put your hands up and let's see if you've still got your service automatic on you. Here. Yeah, I've got it all right. I won't try to use it, though. I know you won't. Now. Oh. I guess I was crazy to try to get away with it. Um, what are you? What are you? Police or uh, CID man? CID. Better talk up fast about the reports on those missile tests. You sold them? Oh, no. Where are they? Oh, uh, buried outside of Las Vegas. Nobody could find them. What? Yes, that's the truth. I never saw anything like that. I just wanted people to think it was me in that car. Papers were missing. They'd figure that's why I was killed. Your chances stay dead. I wish I was dead. Why did you do it? Why did you kill the soldier? Oh, son, I was crazy. I mean, to be dead, I needed a body, so I shot him. How does a man know why he does anything when he's half out of his mind? All right. Let's go. That's sure. Look, you got me. It doesn't make any difference to you if, if we take uh, just an extra minute or so. I'd like you to do something for me. If you like what? I got a package with a lot of cash in it. It's all mine. I swear it's all mine. Now, just, just let me address it and drop it in the mail. To who? Why should that make a difference to you? Because if you want it sent to your wife, we can take care of that for you. And if you're thinking of Jacqueline Marshall, one of our men has been with her ever since she cleared Denver. We know how you plan to go to Canada. We know all of it. Jacqueline had nothing to do with that. She didn't know I was going to kill Whiteson. Save it, Cronin. If she didn't know, why did she make that reservation in Toronto for you after we told her you'd been found dead in the burnt-out car? I fell in love with her. I had to find a way. My wife would never have given me a divorce. I know. She told me. 
Maybe that's why the marriage ceremony reads, Until death do us part, Cronin. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So is Private Whiteson. So is his family, if he had one. Everybody's sorry. Everybody's always sorry when it's too late. That's our car over there. Get in. This is Douglas Fairbanks again. Although he had not sold out his country, as at first indicated, Captain Walter Cronin and Jacqueline Marshall were convicted of the murder of a member of the armed forces. Their conviction closes another chapter in the distinguished chronicle of our silent men, the special agents of all branches of our federal government who daily risk their lives to protect the lives of all of us. Next week, we'll tell you the story involving war against the innocent in the file case entitled Food and War, another venture undertaken for our protection by the silent men. The Silent Men is produced and directed by Warren Lewis. The file case, The Torch, was written by Joel Mercott and transcribed in Hollywood. Only the names and places were fictional. Featured in our cast were Lamont Johnson, Vivi Janis, Gene Bates, Paul Freeze, and Tom McKee. Your announcer is Don Stanley. Douglas Fairbanks is currently presenting Betty Davis, Gary Merrill, and Emlyn Williams in the motion picture, Another Man's Poison. Listen again next week and every week to other exciting cases involving the law enforcement adventures of the special agents of our federal government. For they are the silent men. Friends, again disaster has struck. Floods have deluged the Mississippi and Missouri River basins, destroying towns and farms and sweeping away the homes and all the possessions of thousands of our fellow Americans. Again, the Red Cross is on the job providing food and clothing and temporary shelter to these stricken people. Again has arisen the desperate need for funds to enable the Red Cross to carry on its work. If you want to do your share in this unparalleled emergency, send your contributions. Welcome back. Well, an interesting story where it kind of just became a basic murder investigation in the end. But you can definitely understand why it had some interest from higher-ups. I did think it was a bit unfair the way that the hero kind of dumped on the nurse for not knowing that the captain was married. Unless he was, you know, wearing a wedding ring or something like that, I think most women assume that someone who is dating is not actually married. But overall, a good murder mystery. Well, now we turn to listener comments and feedback, and Eric had a comment regarding an episode uh, that we did a few weeks back, episode 3464, The Big Kill. 
And he writes, Histrionics of this episode aside, this is a very well-acted series, and uh, that's the draw of this show to me. There isn't much else that distinguishes it from other shows. The soap opera-type twist and turns in today's story mainly made me uh, deeply question it's only the names and places are fictional tags, so I did a very little research. I couldn't find any incidents remotely like this. This doesn't mean it didn't happen, but honestly, this kind of thing would have been all over the national news. Well, on that point, I, you know, appreciate where you're coming from. I'm you know, a little bit skeptical of it myself, if for no other reason than it was also used as the basis of an episode of Nightbeat, which wasn't known for telling factual stories. Uh, it does seem like there might have been some embellishment, but I don't know if it actually would have made a national news. It might have depended on how confidential the government would have been about it. But yeah, I do think that there is a bit of embellishment to make uh, some stories uh, better fit radio and within its time slot. I think what they do try to get accurate are the details of how the investigation is carried out and solved. Eric then has another suggestion. Uh, he writes, thinking about future shows, two suggestions on today's podcast, great uh, writers of old-time radio and science fiction, have me thinking about combining the two. Ray Bradbury stories are widely regarded as classics of both the short story uh, format and science fiction genre. Many of his best-known works, like uh, There Will Come Soft Rains, Kaleidoscope, and The Rockets, were adapted for various series, mainly Suspense and uh, X Mot and Dimension X. This might not be something that warrants a whole podcast, but it could make a good thematic series over on the Amazing World of Radio. Well, thanks so much, Eric. And I would agree that Bradbury is a great uh, writer, and I give you know credit to Colonial Radio Theater for really. Uh, turning me on to him, you know, as a writer, because I'd heard of him before, but their adaptation of uh, The Martian Chronicles really got me more interested in him. And I've, you know, uh, gone through a couple books, you know, watched some Ray Bradbury theater, really love uh, Fahrenheit uh, 451, even though there's no old-time radio version of it. I'd love to do uh, Ray Bradbury stuff. I think it would probably make most sense as part of, uh, you know, if we did do a science fiction series, or if we decided to do something, you know, that wasn't science fiction at all, uh, you know, then I think it might fit over on the amazing world of radio. But I definitely love to do some uh, Ray Bradbury. All right, well, I do want to go ahead and thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Brian, Patreon supporter since March 2020, currently supporting the show at the Master Detective level of $15 or more per month. Thanks so much for your support, Brian. And that will do it for today. A reminder, if you are enjoying this podcast on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe, and mark the notification bell to get notified of new episodes. Join us back here... Uh, on Monday as we'll be bringing you Casey Crime Photographer and then we'll be back next Saturday with another episode of The Silent Mint. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.